Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Glad that you guys are here with us. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Galatians chapter 1. It's where we're going to be this morning as we are in week two of our series. We're going to kind of recap a couple of things, some foundations that we are building off of as we work through this series together. And as we work through Galatians each week, we're going to be building on a gospel issue that Paul is dealing with and that Paul is working through with the church at Galatia. As Paul has planted this church, he's now left this church, and he's writing back instructions for where they are in their growth as they journey in the walk with with their walk with the Lord corporately together. There you are. Good to see y'all. Where they are corporately together is as as they walk with the Lord as a family of believers. And the first thing that's going to kind of be this gospel truth that that we center on, that we understand each week is this, that, that the gospel is how we enter into the kingdom. That's going to be a primary focus on understanding, and we talked about that last week, a lot about that last week, and if you weren't here, go back and listen to it. You can do that from our website, or you can check out our podcast, right? We've got that as well now, and so you can go back and understand what we mean when we understand the gospel and what the gospel shows us about ourselves, what the gospel shows us about Christ, what the gospel shows us about God, and what a life saved by the gospel then begins to look like. So the gospel is how we enter into the kingdom. And the important primary aspect of that is that is the gospel and the gospel alone that saves us. There is no other way. There is no other faith. There is nothing else that saves us other than Christ and Christ alone. And so that's what we preach, that's what we teach, that's what we share with our lost friends and neighbors, is that it is centered in on that Jesus Christ is at the heart of the gospel. The biblical Jesus is centered into that. And if you remove Jesus from the gospel, if you remove any aspect about who he is, if you remove any aspect of what he's done, if there's any part of the gospel that is in void of Jesus, if there's any part that's void of the cross, If there's any part that's void of the blood, if there's any part that's void of his death, that's void of his burial, that's void of his resurrection, it is no longer the gospel. Jesus, in a very plain way, says that he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And get this, big words for us to understand as we talk about the gospel, that no one, no one comes to faith, comes to eternity, comes to salvation except by him, through him, the power of Jesus in the gospel. And so this is the first foundation that the gospel is how we enter enter into the kingdom. But there's a part of this attention that Paul's going to address that we're going to work together through as a church is that we feel when we hear the word or when you say the phrase, who needs the gospel? Like if I were to ask us today, who needs the gospel? Like I hope we begin with a laundry list of lost people whose lives we are invested in. So side note, if all you're doing is hanging out with Christians, we're missing the point. That, it, that the gospel is the hope for lost people. 
But here's the reality for you and for me, that it's not just lost people that need the gospel. It's not just lost people. It's not just people who have, in quotes, backslidden. It's not just people who are wandering a different way, but that it is all of us who need the gospel. And so what we begin to understand is not only is the gospel how we enter into the kingdom, but the gospel is how we live as a part of the kingdom. And so it's the gospel that molds us and shapes us and changes us through the power of the work of the Holy Spirit that I am dependent on the gospel. So I have been saved for 18 years, 19 years, and I need the gospel just as much today as I stand here before you and preach that I did the day that I got saved in Tacoa, Georgia, when God revealed his truth to me, right? I need it just as much right now as I did then as I walk this journey with him. And so what we begin to find out with the gospel is that for us, the gospel sets the standard, that the gospel works in us now so that the gospel can work through us. And what we have to realize and what you have to look at your own life and examine, what we have to walk through with each other and begin to examine is this, is there tangible fruit of the gospel evident in your life? Like, Cain, when you look at your day, when you look at your thoughts, When you look at your words, what do you see? Do you see sin? Do you see religion? Do you see you? Or do you see a tangible working of the gospel in your life of where this has taken place? And so it's what Paul begins with. But then he also is going to continue on this morning in a neat kind of, uh, kind of rare moment that we don't oftentimes get in scriptures as we get a snapshot into Paul's testimony, as we get a snapshot into his story of what's going on. And what we're going to find in this is a little bit of an echo of what we talked about last week, but this time in an aspect that's made personal in his life. And this week, what we're going to look at is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Here's the problem that Paul's trying to address in the church. Here's very specifically of what is taking place in here is this division that is happening between believers over the gospels between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews who have come to faith first and are Christians and, 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 and trying to follow what God's called for them, but then as the Gentiles become a, a part of that, the non-Jews, a division that tries to take place. And here's where the division is centered around and what Paul's trying to try to correct and what Paul's going to show about himself is, yes, it was believed that the gospel is what saves you. But then there was this other part about the gospel that was being added to about, and then there are these things that you must do. Not out of a transformed heart, not out of a desire to be obedient to the Lord, but that this must happen and must take place in order for you to be saved. And so Paul's going to kind of come down through as we go through this and say, no, 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 we're missing it when we add anything to the gospel, is that it is Jesus, not Jesus plus anything, that it is through Christ and Christ alone. And what we're going to gain is this, not that we don't, not that we shouldn't be obedient, to what God's called us to do, God does call us to that. But the obedience that comes from the gospel, the obedience that comes from walking with the Lord, the obedience that comes from Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, is the fruit that comes from the gospel, not obedience so that we might obtain the gospel. 
And so it's what Paul begins to lay the groundwork. So let's start reading in chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Paul says here, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you uh, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria, of Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So Paul, in this section of this letter, there's two different sections that we're going to look at. He's going to encourage them of having a holy fear of God, but then he's also going to share his personal story of redemption. The first thing that we've got to look at that we have to wrestle within ourselves as we understand the gospel is this. In our life, is it the fear of God or is it the fear of man? Here's personally what's going on in Paul's life. As Paul's speaking to the gospel and the gospel only, as Paul is acknowledging that he is bringing the hope of the gospel to the Gentiles, as he's breaking away from his race, as he's breaking away from his people, there's accusations that are being made against him, that he's changing the gospel, that he's changing the standard, that he's doing whatever he can to appease the Gentiles in order to bring them into faith that Paul is being a people pleaser for them. And so the church begins to honestly do one of the things that the church does well. They begin to eat their own. They begin to sinfully begin to destroy each other. Unfortunately, it's what the lost world associates with many congregations and many denominations as we seek to attack as opposed to unify, but that's a separate issue that we can talk about later. And so Paul seeks to set the record straight. The power of verse 10. For I am now seeking the approval of man or God, Paul asks. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant, or this word literally translated, slave to Christ. Paul says, no, 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 you don't understand that I am not surrendered to man, but I am surrendered to the Lord. So when it comes to your life and mine, when it comes to our obedience and the transformation of the gospel, 
when it comes to the boldness of the words that we say, when it comes to even for those of us now that are trying to figure out, is this gospel what we surrender to or not? The questions that I think we must ask ourselves is this, whose approval are you seeking? Who are you and I in our life trying to please? Because our approval and our goal to please will establish who we are seeking to obey and who has ultimate influence on our life. That when our life is lived with a matter and a desire to come before the Lord, to seek Him, to please Him, no matter what, then everything else gets pushed to the side. Because the reality is, if we live boldly for the gospel, there will be parts of us that are not pleasing to others. There will be parts of us that do not gain the approval to others because the gospel at the core within itself is offensive. The gospel at the core within itself tells me and tells others that I am not okay. And neither are you without the hope of the gospel. It's the part that we looked at and tried to understand last year, or last week, that we needed rescuing, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were incapable of anything good apart from Christ. And so when we begin to flesh this out, what does that look like? Now, this isn't giving us permission to be offensive to everyone. This isn't giving us permission to walk into work tomorrow morning and be hated because of who we follow. In fact, Paul, within his life, has the desire to love everyone. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, he even talks about that he wants to be all things to all people in the hopes that some may come to faith. But the reality is, when we live boldly for the gospel, when it comes to who we are going to please in this world, that the gospel does create a divide. Do we fear God? Or do we fear man because we can't fear both? Paul uses the word servant or slave in this. And the reality is what scripture teaches is that we can't serve two masters. It's Christ and Christ alone. So what does it mean to fear God? What does it look like to have this in our lives? I love what Joel kind of shared for, for the moment there as he talked about the, the beauty of that, of the, the, the awesomeness of, the, of, of the, the gospel, what the gospel does, that the gospel does cause us in our life to be filled with the awe of the wonder of God. That sometimes, as we're in his presence, we can't speak. Sometimes within his presence, we're just overcome by who he is. To be in fear of God means that above anything else, that there's this attraction to his greatness. That is what draws us, it's what pulls at our hearts, and that what comes from that is this holy desire to be obedient. And so Paul begins at the very beginning of this by establishing, as we go through this, what we have to work out within ourselves is in your life, church, in my life, who do we seek to please? Is it Christ and Christ alone, or is it anything else? But then what we're going to see is we're going to see the power of Paul's story. Now, Paul's not, if you don't know the story of Paul, Paul's not this guy that was raised up in the church, and this is all that he's ever known, and he was molded and shaped for this, and has been a dynamic leader of the Christian faith his entire life. 
quite exactly the opposite. That he wasn't before a man named Paul, but before that he was a man named Saul. And as Saul, his goal in life, and this is what he alludes to, was to end Christianity. And here's what's important for us to know. His goal to end Christianity was not through conversions. He wasn't trying to take Christians and move them into Judaism. His goal to, his goal to end Christianity was to destroy it. And he would destroy it, his means were, through imprisonment and execution. Like we can call this Saul before he gets saved and becomes Paul a lot of different things. We can call him a bad man. We can call him a sinful person. We can call him evil. But I think a better explanation to resonate in our hearts who Saul was, was Saul was a terrorist. Seeking to create fear through death. A lot of the tactics and a lot of the things that we hear of happen in other parts of the country. This is what Saul lived out. You can read in the Bible where he orchestrated, approved, and empowered public executions. This was who this man was. But he had an encounter with Jesus. He had an encounter on the Damascus Road. And when God saved him, God changed him. Everything down to even his name of who he is. And what we see of what Paul shakes out for us here is the power of his story. And what we're going to notice are some key aspects of what he focuses in on in his story as he seeks to share the power of the gospel. And the first thing that he shows us is the power of God. Let's reread verses 11 and 12. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't get saved at youth camp. Paul wasn't talked into something. Paul didn't come to a worship service that his friends brought him to. Paul wasn't raised in the church. Now, all of those things are how people get saved, and I praise God for it. But what Paul is establishing here, and at any point in time when anyone gets saved, that it happens only through the power of God. I appreciate so much how Chad prayed for me and how Joel prayed for me. And how Isaac prayed for me before the service. That the words that I speak, that God may use them in his power if anyone needs to be saved. Do you see the difference of what's there? That it's not through the appeal of man, it's not through the cunningness of man, but it's through the power of God that salvation happens. And so Paul says, look, I didn't receive it from any man. It wasn't taught through me, but that salvation comes in power alone through God so that it is understood that in all of us, when salvation happens, God saved you and God saved me. The power of what has taken place. We can't miss that. The same God that spoke the world into the existence is the same God who saves the same miracle that took place as life was created is the same miracle that takes place when someone gets saved at 7 or 77. 
It's the power of God of what's happening. But he also talks about this. He talks about the power over sin, starting in verse 13. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he who had set me apart, focus on verse 15, this is what you want to underline. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. There's two parts that we see here in the power over sin for the gospel. And the first is this, it's the power of the gospel over sin, not the power of the gospel in spite of sin. It's important of what the power reigns is over, not in spite. You see, because the struggle that you and I currently face is not because the weakness of the gospel. It's not because the weakness of God as we battle through sin in our life, because the power of the gospel is the power over sin. But it's the power of our humanity that still wants to ring true in us. It's the power of the brokenness that we still try to hold on to. The reality is is that when God saves us, he gives us power, not in spite of sin, but that God gives us power over sin. And what we begin to see is the beauty of the battle. What we begin to understand is that's where the fruit of faith comes from. It's the power over sin that I see and that I recognize and that I'm repentant for and that I'm battling with the sin that's in my life. Doesn't mean I'm there yet. No. Doesn't mean I'm perfected. Absolutely not. And this side of eternity, I will never be. But it's the battle through it. It's the battle over it. And I think the struggle for many of us is when we see sin when sin is examined, when sin is pointed out in our life, are we offended by it? Are we repentant of it? Or are we indifferent to it? And I think as the church, we have to examine that. I think as the church, we have to battle with that. You know the sin that's in your life. You know the struggles that are there. You know the battles that you face. The question is this, do you hate it or do you love it? Do you repent of it or do you excuse it? The battle over. But the second part's the focus there in verse 15. Let's reread that together. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal uh, his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Here's what Paul's talking about here. All that stuff that he did, all the executions that were there, all the persecution that took place, That through the power over sin, through the power of the gospel, that God's plans for him, that God's purpose for him had not changed, and they are larger than the sin that's in Paul's life. And so what Satan would try to hold him back is you can never go to that church and proclaim hope to them. You persecuted them. You imprisoned them. You threw them in jail. What are they going to say about you? You had their loved ones executed. Paul says, no, 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 no. There's the difference of what's there. Because before I committed all of these sins, before I was even saved, 
God had set me apart for the hope of the gospel, to bring faith to the Gentiles. Church, as we're in our world, as we're in our life, let me tell you this. There are a thousand different things you've done and I've done that Satan wants to tell us that we're disqualified for the gospel because of it. But because of the power that God has over sin, because of who he is, and because the gospel, you are not disqualified. But the power of the gospel qualifies you. You see, if you can look back on anything that you feel like you've done in your past to qualify you for this, then you've missed the point to begin with. But it's through the power of the gospel over sin. We continue on in verse 16, and we see the power of the Spirit. He said, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. So Paul gets saved, and here's his journey. He wasn't immediately discipled. He didn't return to the home base of Christianity to go and study. What Paul did was he went away and he spent time with God. And so what we see as he begins to tell of the work that God's doing, we see the fruit of the relationship of what Paul is working through between him and God alone. That Paul, in his need to be discipled, God, uh, Paul, in his need to grow, that his foundation for both of those rests in God and God alone. And here's what I want to tell you with. This happens through the power of the Spirit. It's not that we don't need discipleship. Absolutely we need discipleship. I need individuals speaking into my life, molding me and shaping me and working in ways to help me grow in my relationship with the Lord. But can I tell you that my relationship with God can never be solely linked to a relationship with an individual, but the foundation of my relationship with God must be connected to my relationship with him. And within that, there's a battle. Within that, that's a struggle. Within that, that's a working through of maturity of what we must do. But church, I want to tell you this. There's beauty in the struggle. There's perseverance that comes from the struggle. So when you dive into God's word between you and the Lord, depending on the power of the Holy Spirit, and you don't understand everything, or maybe you don't even understand anything, can I tell you, don't set it down and walk to someone else to get their opinion of what it might say, but stick with the battle, stick with the struggle, and watch through the power of the Holy Spirit what God is going to do as God's Spirit reveals to you. It's the power over it. Paul, the greatest church planner we know, got saved and didn't run the seminary. Paul, the greatest church planner we know, got saved and he ran to the feet of God. He said, in your power, teach me. And then lastly, and we'll conclude with this, what we see here in Paul is the power of a story. Let's start reading verse 21. He says, then I went into the regions of Syria in Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches 
of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Understand, let's read that again. Here's what they're saying. He who used to persecute us, he who used to try to kill us, he who used to, has killed some of us, who used to throw us in jail, who used to have us beaten, who used to have our houses burned down, who used to perform public executions, he who used to do these things is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The power of a story. What makes Paul's story powerful? What makes it powerful? I don't think what makes Paul's story powerful is his sin. Because then the glory would be on the sin. I don't think what makes Paul's story powerful is Paul. When you look at the power of Paul's story, of what it comes from, of everything that it is, it's because the power of Paul's story is focused on God and the gospel. And that's the power of his story. That's why for you and for me, that we can look at our lives regardless of our journey to faith, and if we focus in on the big title things of what we see Paul focus in on, there's the same power that's there because it's the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. When I'd gotten saved, uh, I'd been saved maybe two or three months. And I was riding back from, a, uh, we'd gone up to Clemson's FCA, and I got put in a car uh, with somebody that I didn't know. And he began to talk, and he said, hey man, uh, how about you share your testimony with me? I said, sure. And so we began to talk, and I began to lay out the, my, my story of, of what God had done in my life. I began to tell about all of the horrible things that I've done. I began to openly confess, and I think for a moment the guy's kind of sitting there like white knuckle in the steering wheel going, are you good grief, right? And I talked about the day that God saved me. Talk about what God was doing. Talk about what it looked like and the call for the future. Talk about the hope that I've had and the opportunities to share with others. And I said, what about you? What's your testimony? And he said, man, it's nothing like yours. It's boring. He said, man, I've never not known a relationship with God. From the time that I was very young, I trusted my life to Christ. And every day I've tried to be surrendered to the gospel and God's plan for me. He said, I'm 22 years old now. He said, I've tried to walk with faith. I've tried to run from struggles. I've slipped and I've fallen. I've made decisions that I shouldn't have and I repent. And he said, so I kind of feel like my story is void. I kind of feel like my story is broken. I kind of feel like my story isn't filled with this great aha moment. And there was another buddy of mine sitting in the back seat. And he said, you know, when it comes to stories, we try to rank them. We try to rank them through the shock factor. 
We try to rank them because let's be honest, some of our stories are G-rated and some of us not so much. And based in our sin in the past, we try to determine the power and the effectiveness of the gospel in our life. But let me tell you, church, whether you got saved at seven and all you've known is the Lord, or whether you've run from him time and time again, pursuing all of the things that we're not going to talk about in here. It's not the power of your sin. It's the power of the gospel. Whether you talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, or the apostle Paul, both came from different routes. Both came with different stories. But both ended at the same throne, the throne of Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the power of the cross. Lord, we thank you for the power of God that works. That the power of the gospel is found in you and you alone, God. And then it gives power over sin. That in our life, that we no longer live as the defeated, but we live, we stand in the victory. Or that you give us, even in the struggles, Lord, the opportunity to see and to acknowledge, to repent, to be broken of because of the power over sin. But also, Lord, that our sin, our past, doesn't disqualify us, but you qualify us. That you've chosen, that you've appointed, that you've set into place for all of us. Or plans to live boldly and faithfully for you. Lord, we thank you for the power of the Spirit. Or the same Holy Spirit that lived in Paul is the same Holy Spirit that lives in us. Lord, that's hard for us. Lord, I know that's hard for me so many times to understand that level of connection that I have with you. Lord, and I pray that in our foundation of our faith, Lord, I thank you that you give us so many different people who step into our lives to help mold us and shape us. But Lord, before we bow down, before we come dependent at the feet of a pastor or the feet of an author, at the feet of a teacher, a small group leader, or that we become broken and dependent at the feet of a God who speaks to us. So Lord, have us struggle, have us become disciplined, have us build the spiritual muscle that we need to persevere through. Lord, so that we can experience the sweetness when you speak to us. And that we, we can hear from God. Lord, I thank you for the power of our stories. For every man and woman and child that has been saved, where there's power in their story. From the addict that's been pulled out of the street to the kid in Sunday school. 
Lord, that there's power in every story. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to end with what I began with. This morning, whose approval do you seek? God's or man's? If it's the approval of God, I'll tell you where it begins. It begins at the cross. Jesus, if there's anyone here, they don't know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that today would be their day of life eternal, life everlasting. Lord, draw their hearts to you. Speak hope to them. Lord, draw them with your spirit. Bring them to your throne of mercy. Have them respond in who you are fully so that the power of the gospel would be made known to them, Lord, and they would run to you and they would cry out to you. Lord, and they would be broken for their sin. Lord, they would be set free from their shame so that they can live in the boldness of the cross and the power of the gospel. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.